if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we've been in the book of 1 Timothy now. This is week three um, in a series that we're calling Healthy Church. Um, we're actually going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're new here, this is your first Sunday, uh, don't be alarmed uh, because we're, you're going to be able to jump right into this with us. We're only in week three. Uh, but what Paul does in week one is he offers a warning, a, a stern and strong warning against false teaching. And he tells us as a church, if you want to be a healthy church, you need to protect against false teachers. And then he moves in the week two, uh, still in chapter one, he moves from protection into a season of celebration. And we talked about how Paul specifically talked about celebrating the grace of the gospel of Jesus and how we looked at Paul's life. And if we, if we put our finger to the pulse of his life all the way through the New Testament, what you're going to see is that Paul was a man who never got over the amazing grace of God. And we encourage you uh, last week to, to kind of assess your own self, to see if maybe you've gotten over the grace of God, but to continue to live with the grace of God in the forefront of our minds at all times. Today, we're going to shift again. Today, we're going into chapter two, but what Paul's going to do is he's going to move into a time of instruction. He's going to instruct uh, the church on how to function or how to live um, so that the gospel can continue to advance. And here's what I want you to do today, church. What I'm going to ask you to do, and it's kind of by the nature of how I'm starting this way, is I want you to lean into this a little, okay? Um, I believe that the message that we have today is, is not just a general text, okay? This is not a text that we're all just going to be able to hear and say, oh, that was good, and let's go home. Uh, I want you to lean into this text a little. You're going to have to do some honest self-assessment as we walk through the text, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to put the fingers, uh, put your own fingers to the, to the pulse of your own individual life and see if this is where you align. See if this is who you are as a child of God. But corporately, I want us to think about this from a church level too. Like, is this who we are as a church? And if not, why? And I hope at the end of this, we'll see that we need to be a church that prays the, wall, the way Paul encourages us to pray. So, I believe that this is for us today. I hope that you'll lean into it a little bit. Here's the big idea. This is where we're going today, okay? This is where we're headed. A healthy church prays fervently for gospel advancement. A healthy church prays fervently for gospel advancement. What I wanted to say today is that a healthy church is a praying church. But if I, I felt like if I, if I only said that, then I'd be leaving something on the table. So I changed it to a healthy church prays fervently for gospel advancement. Why? Because what I believe you're going to see here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is that Paul isn't saying, hey, a healthy church just prays generally. I think he's saying that a healthy church prays specifically, and what they specifically pray for is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would continue to advance. By the way, Jesus said this in the gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Many of you are familiar with verses 37 through 38 where Jesus said to the disciples, talking to his followers, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I mean, there's a harvest out there to reap. There's just not enough people out there reaping the harvest. And then he says this, so therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out 
laborers into his harvest. Why? Because if we pray earnestly for more laborers, then the gospel will continue to advance. The more laborers we have, the more advancement of the gospel that takes place. So what I want to do this morning is I want to draw your attention to three specific things in our text today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. I want to draw your attention to three specific things that I think will help us become a healthy church, especially in the way that we pray. The first thing I want you to see is this. In order for us to be a healthy church that prays fervently for gospel advancement, there's three things I want you to see. First, we must prioritize praying for our neighbors and the nations. We must be a church that prioritizes praying both for our neighbors, that's those here in Henry County, and for the nations. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. First of all, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now I love how Paul starts this verse in chapter 2. He says, first of all. What Paul is doing is he is highlighting the priority of the church. Notice that I did not say that he is highlighting the priorities of the church. Paul is highlighting the priority of the church. See, church, we must understand that prayer must be the priority of the church. I was reading an article just the other day. I actually revisited that article even this morning. And it was talking about how the word priority entered into the English language. It came into the English language around the, year, around the 1400s. And when it came into the English language, it was a singular term. It didn't later become plural until we made it plural. Why why is that important? Because when you think of the word priority, there's only one thing that can be of most importance. There's only one thing that can be a priority. On the list of things that are important in your life, you have a list of priorities. That's a list of important things. On the list of things that are important in your life, there can only be one thing that's of most importance. And that's what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying that prayer must be the most important thing in the life of the believer. If the gospel is going to advance, then we must be on our knees in prayer. If we're going to see men and women saved by the grace of God, it's going to happen because the men and women who are already saved by the grace of God are on their knees begging God to move so that the gospel can continue to advance. So there are a lot of things that can be important, but there's only one thing that can be most important. And Paul says prayer must be the priority of the church. Now, does this eliminate gospel proclamation? Does this eliminate obedience to all that Jesus says and commands? No, it doesn't eliminate any of that. But what we, what we are prone to do is we're prone to put our feet to the gospel way before ever putting our knees to the gospel. And what Paul wants to say to the church today is if you want to be a healthy church, a growing church, a church that's making a difference in its county, then you're going to have to be a men and women, a people who are on your knees praying for the Lord to do a work that only he's capable of. See, church family, we must understand this. Our prayers are a weapon to unleash God's power. Our prayers are a weapon to unleash God's power. I'm using a new Bible today. Um, I don't know if it's throwing you off, but it's throwing me off. This thing is heavy. 
All right, I've always said never take like a study Bible behind the pulpit because um, it looks braggadocious, right? Look, look at me, I got a big Bible. Um, it's like Jeremy holding his Bible because his biceps show through his shirt. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, um, I'm using a new Bible, so it's kind of weird for me today. Uh, but it reads the same, okay? It's the same thing as the one I was using before. All right, but here's the thing. We, we have to understand that prayer is it, very interesting and in that it's a weapon that unleashes the power of God. I mean, think about Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 says that the men and the women in the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer. And what happened as a result of devoting themselves to, a pray, to prayer? The Lord added to their number daily those who were transferring membership from other churches. No, you never see that in the Bible. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Because the men and the women, they were on their knees praying, and then they also went out of their, their, their homes and they proclaimed the gospel, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. What about Acts chapter 10? Cornelius, a Roman, you, you remember Cornelius? He was in the Roman army. Cornelius places his faith and his trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but why? Why does Acts chapter 10 tell us that Cornelius came to know Christ? Because Peter was on a rooftop praying for Cornelius to come to know Christ. Acts chapter 13, do you remember the story of Saul and Barnabas? Saul and Barnabas were sent out of their church on a mission to go take the gospel to all the Gentiles. But what led Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas to take the gospel as missionaries to the Gentiles? The Bible tells us the church was praying and fasting so that the gospel could advance. Every move of God that you see begins with prayer. Think about Jonathan Edwards, who started the, really, the largest great awakening that ever happened in our country, the first great awakening. Remember the story of Jonathan Edwards? When he was asked, what was the singular contributor to the great awakening happened? Jonathan answered, said, no doubt, it was the extraordinary prayer of God's people. If you wanna see God move, if you want to see him move in might and in power, you've got to get on your knees and we got to pray. As a church family, if we want to see God move, if we want to see the Lord saving men and women in the baptism waters stirred week by week by week by week, that begins by you and I getting on our face before God in prayer. Church, it is inconceivable that you and I would ever desire to experience the power of God apart from prayer. If we want to experience the power of God, that happens first when we pray. Paul says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, that word supplications means to make requests. Prayers, that's the most general term used for the word prayer in the Bible. He uses it here intercessions that means to draw near to God in a way that when you speak to him you have the confidence that he hears you and then he says and thanksgivings that's just a way of expressing gratitude for yourself for the gospel for the life of other believers he said first of all then I urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people this morning I don't want you to get hung up on those four different types of prayers that Paul's mentioning here Okay, because honestly, they are important, but his point can be made without speaking of those four specific things. All Paul, all Paul was saying is this. Pray all types of prayers for all types of people. That's all he's saying. That you and I, we must be men and women who pray all types of prayers, intercessory prayers, thanksgiving prayers, 
you know, petitioning prayers, supplication prayers, whatever the case may be, we're praying all types of prayers for all types of prayer, people. People here, people there, people everywhere. That's what Paul is trying to say. So let me say it like this. We need to pray for everyone, <clears throat> everywhere, to know and follow Jesus. If you and I, if this church is going to be the healthy church, is going to be a healthy church, if it's going to be the church that the Lord wants us to be, it begins when we pray for everyone, everywhere, to know and to follow Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we have to pray for our neighbors and we have to pray for the nations. It means that we can't pray for our neighbors more than we pray for the nations and we can't pray for the nations more than we pray for our neighbors. There has to be balance and symmetry here. We have to want to see the people that live on our street come to know Jesus just as much as we do want to see the people that live in India come to know Jesus. And we want to see the people who live in Asia come to know Christ just as much as we do the people who live or work in, the, in our workplaces come to know Christ. Paul says this way in this text, I think it's interesting, he says, he emphasizes this word, all men, over and over and over. In fact, he says it four times in six verses, the first six verses. Why does Paul emphasize the word all men? Listen, church, Paul wants you and I to realize that there is no one who is too far gone from the reach of God. Paul wants you and I to realize that there is no one who is too lost in their sin that God cannot save them. Paul wants us to realize that there's no one who is too far out there that the grace of God cannot reach them. So he says, I want you to pray for everyone. And I want you to pray for everyone to come to know and to follow Jesus. No one is too far gone, uh, Paul says. No one is too sinful that God cannot save them. No one is too messed up or too jacked up that God can't intervene in their lives. No one is living such a crooked life that the Lord Jesus and his grace and his glory can't interrupt their life and call him to himself. No one is such a misfit or has made so many mistakes that God can't reach their soul and save them. And Paul says, and just in case you're not getting the point, he goes to verse 2 and he says, God can even save the politician. That's really what he does. He says in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We have to remember Neo, who was completely godless, was emperor of Rome during this particular time. Nero didn't take it easy on Christians. In fact, he demanded that people refer to him as a savior. You might not know this about Nero, but Nero was really the one who introduced martyrdom into the world. He loved and he found joy in brutally killing Christians for their faith in Jesus Christ. And now Paul is saying, I want you to pray for Nero. I want you to pray for all the men who support and hold Nero up. I want you to pray for all government officials. It doesn't matter how bad they are or even how good they are. It doesn't matter if you agree with them or disagree with them. I want you to pray for them. Now, why would that be important? Why is it important that, that Paul would want us to do that? Because again, what's at the forefront of Paul's mind in this text is that the gospel of Jesus will continue to advance. So you're probably thinking, well, Trey, help me understand. If I'm supposed to pray for these people, I have no problem doing that. I pray for them every day. I pray that they be out of office. Some of you do that. 
But if we're supposed to pray for them, then you have to help me understand what exactly am I supposed to pray? We need to be praying that these men or these women would lead us in such a way that they will allow the gospel to continue to thrive and flourish in our county, in our cities, in our nations, in the world. We ask God to help these leaders make decisions that will allow you and I as men and women of faith to continue to practice freely our faith. That's what Paul was getting at here. When Paul says pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, newsflash for you church family, peaceful and quiet does not mean comfortable and convenient. And some of us, we take words like that, peaceful and quiet, oh, that means that everything's supposed to just be great. And we're supposed to be comfortable, we're supposed to be convenient, and all of our needs are supposed to be met, but that's not what Paul has in mind. Remember, Nero was killing Christians. And it was in the face of this persecution that many men and women of the faith were beginning to cave. Those who were boldly proclaiming the gospel are all of a sudden starting to shut down. Do you see what's happening? When Nero is causing this type of persecution and even martyrdom, and and Christians are beginning to shut down, that means that the gospel is starting to move at a slower pace. And Paul says, we got to pray against that. We can't have anything slowing down the gospel. We got to pray for those men. We got to pray for those women. We got to pray that God will give them wisdom to lead us in a respectable way. We got to pray that that we will always be free to, to, to share the gospel with those who are in need. We have to pray that we would experience some peace and quiet from this persecution so that we may live the godly and dignified lives that God has called us to live. That's what he's saying. Godly and dignified are just basically two outward manifestations of Christian living. This is how we should live as believers in Christ. What is Paul getting at? This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, pray for your neighbor, the people on your street, the people that you work with, the people that are at the grocery store when you shop, the people that are serving you at the table when you eat and dine at certain places in our community. Pray for them, but pray for political peace as well so that we can maximize the spread of the gospel so that the gospel will reach our neighbors and the nations. Do you see why this was such a big priority to Paul? Paul did not want anything to impede the progress of the gospel going forward. I started to wonder, could we say the same thing about ourselves? Like, do we really feel that way about the advancement of the gospel? I'm not asking you if you feel that passionate about your political ideologies, because we know you do. We see it on Facebook. I'm asking you, do you feel that way about the advancement of the gospel to your neighbors and even to the nations? That anything and everything that slows it down needs to be addressed. That That you're willing to do whatever it takes that the gospel of Jesus might continue to advance. That means if there's division between you and a brother, you're willing to settle it because it would slow down the gospel. That means if there's something that's unsettling your spirit, that you're willing to deal with it so that the gospel's not hindered and it will continue to progress. Are we so passionate about the gospel of Jesus that we can say it is our first priority? He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 too. He says, what's of first importance to me, this is Paul, is what? The gospel. He he lived it. He bleeded it. And this is the very life 
that he lived, and it's the lives that we're supposed to live too. We must prioritize praying for our neighbors and the nations if we're going to be a healthy church. But there's a second thing that I want you to see this morning. A second thing, we please God when we pray for and engage in gospel advancement. Sure, we we have to prioritize praying for the neighbors and the nations. We can correct that. But we also need to know that we please God when we not only pray for the neighbors and the nations, but we engage in the advancement of the gospel. It says this in verse 3, this is good. You can underline that. And it's pleasing. You could even underline that. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, verse 4, who desires. You can underline that, that word as well. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Have you ever sat there and just kind of wondered, man, God, what can I do for you that's good? Man, Lord, I, I want to be a worshiper of you. I want you to have my full undivided attention, my full undivided affection. Have you ever just sat there and wondered, what can I do that just brings you pleasure? But now you know. This is what you can do. You can pray for and engage in gospel advancement. See, the heart of God is always gospel advancement. Your entire Bible, from beginning to end, is one story, one redemptive story, about the gospel advancing. That's what it's about. So the heart of God has always been and will always be about gospel advancement. Paul says we pray because it is good. Some of your translations say because it's beautiful. Because it's pleasant. He says it's pleasing in the sight of God. What does that mean? It means that when we pray this way, this is a prayer that God accepts. This is a prayer that God receives. Even if you've never thought, you know, if you thought, hey, maybe God will turn, my, turn his ear towards, away from my prayer. Well, if you don't want that to happen, pray like this. Why, why does he accept this prayer? Why does this please him? Because it's in line with his will. It's in line with his heart. He sees that you're praying that all men everywhere might come to know Christ. And he says, I can get behind that. I can hear that one. And he starts to tune in. And then he dives a little deeper. He says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We please God when we pray for gospel advancement because God desires for all people to be saved. This text is all about the advancement of the gospel. This text is all about mission. This text is all about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The heart of God is always about the advancement of the gospel. Now, I know that some of you, you have theological dispositions that are going to cause you to have a little friction, a little tension with that statement, that God desires all people to be saved. You're thinking, well, Ephesians 1 tells us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, the creation of the world. And now we're learning that God also says that he desires for all men everywhere to be saved. Can I encourage you this morning? Do not pit these two against each other. Do not pit these two against each other. These are two complementary truths. God does choose, but God does also wish that everyone everywhere would be saved. The expression of a desire is not a bad thing, and that's exactly what God is doing here. This is him saying, this is what I want. He says it this way in 2 Peter. The Lord does not wish that any should perish. 
He wishes that all should have eternal life. That's what God wants, but just because God wants it doesn't mean he's going to will it. He gives you some responsibility in that as well. His desire, though, is that all people would be saved. A healthy church prays to that end, that all people will be saved. And as we pray, the heart of God begins to bleed in us. And as the heart of God begins to bleed in us, guess what starts bleeding out of us? The very heart of God, the gospel of Jesus My question is, are you engaged in the mission? I'm not asking just, are you praying? Praying is a great first step, and it's where we need to start. But my second question is, are you engaged in it as well? I mean, is your engagement driven, motivated by your fervent prayer? Can you say, the only reason I'm out here sharing Jesus with people is because I've been praying for people? And he says this in verse 5. He says, for there is one God. Our faith is exclusive. We know that we have Uh, A God that exists, eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So our faith is exclusive. There's one God. And then he says, and there is one mediator. If there's only one God, there can only be one mediator. But who is that mediator? Well, he tells us it's the man, Christ Jesus. Who, by the way, is also referred to in John as the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, and no man can come to the Father except through him. He is the one and only Mediator, says, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I want you to flip over with me today. We don't flip a lot, but I want you to flip over with me today to Psalm chapter 49. Psalm chapter 49, to kind of paint this text for you just a little bit. Uh, The Bible is clear. And many of you know this. We talk about the gospel every single Sunday here. But the Bible is clear that because of sin... Man, us, we are born into this world sinners. The Bible tells us that. We sin by nature. We inherit it, but we also sin by choice. We deliberately rebel. But that sin has drawn a chasm between us and God. And there's nothing that we can do in our unrighteous state to claw our way back to God. We need a ransom. We need someone to come and pay the price for the sin that we've committed. We can't pay for one another's sin. I can't pay for your sin, you can't pay for mine, and I can't pay for my own, and you can't pay for your own. Because we're all unrighteous, we all have sin. It would take someone perfect and unsinful to be able to pay the ransom for us. And this is exactly what Psalm 49 says. Look at verse 7. It says, truly, no man can ransom another. You can't ransom me, and I can't ransom you. Or give to God the price of his life. I can't even ransom myself, is what the psalmist is saying. For the ransom of their life is costly... And can never suffice. It will never measure up. Now jump down to verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of hell. For he will receive me. The psalmist is saying that only Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, he and he alone is the one who is fit to pay the price for the sin that we've committed so that if we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus, we now can be eternally reconciled to God. That's the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul was doing again here in Timothy. He said, we got to pray this way. We got to pray that men and women everywhere might come to know this one mediator that exists between God and man. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and the 
way that we know that this is the passion of our heart is because we start to see our feet move into action and we start to see our voices speak up and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those who need him most. This is what's pleasing to God, he says. This is what God desires. This is what a life looks like that's walking in his will. So we please God when we pray for and we engage in gospel advancement. There's a third thing I want you to see. We must guard against anything that hinders gospel advancement. Church, if we're going to be a healthy church, we have to guard against anything that will hinder gospel advancement. Look at verse 7. It says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. I love that Paul does that right there. You ever have someone who's like, hey, you want me to tell you the truth? And you don't, you're like, you're going to respond. No, I want you to lie. No. But Paul does this too. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, and watch verse 8, like I'm telling you, everybody's about to sit on the edge of their seat. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Oh, things just got a little controversial, didn't they? And I know that some of you are like, well, I wonder how he's going to handle this one. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to play it safe. I think since the day the Lord called us here, the one thing that's been emphatically true is that if the Bible paints something that's a bit controversial to us, we're going to step into it. We're not going to steer away from it. We're not going to shy away from it. Why? Because the Bible is our final authority for all things in life. So when we want to know how we're supposed to conduct ourselves or how we're supposed to live, we go to it, and that's what speaks to us. When we listen to the Bible, we listen to God. And we're going to listen to him even in this text as well. So Paul specifically addresses here two people. He addresses the men, and he addresses the women. First, to you men. This is essentially what Paul is saying. He says instead of focusing on the, the mission of advancing the gospel, what are you doing? You're turning the focus from the mission to yourself. Well, how, how do we do this? He says specifically by arguing and fighting. Hear me well, men. Nothing will hinder the advancement of the gospel more than prideful men who insist on being right. You know who they are. You know who you are. You go to life group, and you go to life group looking for an argument. You have a theological disposition, and you are there to fight for your own the theological beliefs. That's what you're there to do. Now, by all means, if you're standing for the truth of God's word, stand hard. But maybe that isn't the place and time just to be right. So what do men do? We start to argue. We start to fight. And none of us, none of us like lay down. None of us surrender. None of us throw in the towel, towel because our pride kicks in. And we want to be right. We want to be heard. And Paul's saying, man, the mission of God is at stake when you spend more time acting like that than doing what God desires us to do. It's misplaced passion. It's passion that's directed in the wrong place. 
Paul says, I want you to focus on the mission. I want you to focus on gospel advancement. And then he adds this, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands. Isn't that funny? Not one place in scripture that I can recall ever tells us to go to God in prayer with our eyes closed and our our hands folded. Nowhere. But we do it. It's like just something we do. But yet God says, when you go to me in prayer, I want you to lift your hands. None of us do it. Very few of us do it. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, it's pride, guys. Pride is, pride is what keeps us from walking the life that God wants us to walk. Pride is what keeps us from being the men that God wants us to be. It's what hinders the gospel from moving forward. Some of you, you lift your hands so that you can be seen. Some of us, we keep our hands to our side so that we won't be seen. But both of them are, 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 have the same root. It's pride. Paul says, with a sincere faith, with a good heart, man, just lift your hands in prayer. Go to God and ask him to move on behalf of the nations and your neighbors. Ask him to help the gospel advance. It's a word of caution to us. We can't be more passionate about fighting each other while lifting unholy hands than we are fighting for each other by lifting holy hands on our knees. I started to think about my own journey, and I hope this doesn't sound super harsh or cruel. But you know, I started to think how as a worshiper of God, when I come on a Sunday morning with the saints of God, I mean, my, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we just really are here to esteem him, to make much of him, to encourage each other in the process. And I started to think, you know, I really sometimes go to church casually. I worship casually. And, and people who don't worship casually used to bother me. Some of you, you feel the same way. Perhaps our casual posture in prayer is really just a revelation of our casual posture towards God. Maybe we approach God casually, so that's how we pray, is casually. Maybe we approach God casually, so that's how we worship, is casually. But isn't he worth more than that? Men, that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to that. Now, Paul gets super bold, because Paul is a man, and he can talk to men pretty straightforward. But then he talks to the women. Paul says this to the women. He says, hey, instead of focusing on the mission and advancing the gospel, guess what you're doing? He says, you're doing the same thing the men are doing. You're turning the focus away from the mission. You're turning the focus away from advancing the gospel, and you're turning it towards yourself. Well, how are they doing that? By wearing things that distract others from prayer and mission. Well, how are they distracting others? Because they're attracting those people to themselves. That's what he's saying. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Church, Paul is not preaching against cute clothes and accessories. He's not preaching against that. He wasn't even concerned with that. Instead, he wants women to avoid the trap of attracting attention to themselves. He wants them to be pointing others towards God. Listen, ladies, and I say this with as much gentleness as I can. We do not come to church to look at you. We come to church to look at God. And I think one of the things that we can all say that we have in common is when we're here, 
We want to meet with him. So we have to help each other do that. By the way, men, some of you spend more time in front of the mirror than any of these women do. And you're guilty of this as well. We don't come to church to look at you. We come to church to look at God. Here's what Paul's trying to get at. Church, God doesn't want us looking, looking to get from others what God has already given us in his son, Jesus. We want approval from one another. We want to be accepted by one another. And God says, I've already done that for you in Christ. Don't you understand that you now are a son of God? That you once were children of wrath, but now you are a son and a daughter of the Most High King? That you're heirs to the throne? That you belong to him? You're part of his family? You don't have to get the acceptance and the approval of anybody else in this room. The only one that you live your life for is the audience of one person, and that is God. And Paul says that's how we must live. We must guard against anything that might hinder the prayers of gospel advancement. So here's how we're going to end today. We're closing. This is it. There's three things I want to say to us all. One, maybe you're here and you've realized I've been seeking acceptance and approval from other people. This is not a time to leave. Please listen. Please listen. I want you to hear this. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I have been living my life to try to, to, be, to, to be accepted and approved by other people. Today, ma'am, sir, you can find new life in Christ. You can find new life in Christ. We want to encourage you to turn your life over to him. But there's a second group of people that I want to talk to. Second, pray fervently for your neighbors and the nations. We as a church, if we're going to be a healthy church, we have to pray fervently for our neighbors and the nations. Guess where you can do this? You can do it in your life group. Do this in your life group. Adopt somebody, a missionary. Ask Bruce. He will help you in another country. And pray fervently for those people. Download the Joshua um, Project app on your phone or on your computer. Go to the Joshua Expedition. Or Joshua, I keep saying Expe Expedition because that's the company. Joshua Project. Go to that website. There's a missionary a day there that you can be praying for. Ask God to pray to, to save them. Ask God to save those men, those women that are in your neighborhood. And then third, pray together today that the gospel would advance. Pray together today that the gospel would advance. This is going to be very abnormal here because we don't do this a lot. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, Matt and the crew, they're coming out, they're going to play. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you if you're a member of Eagles Landing, if this is a church that you call your home, I want to ask you to join me up here praying specifically for, if you're capable, to pray specifically for our neighbors. You can name them by name. Many of you, you have lost family members. <clears throat> you have lost friends. You can name them by name. People at your workplace, people in your neighborhoods. You can name them by name. And I want us to pray for the nations. We're going to be commissioning and talking with a guy in a couple of weeks who's going, who we partner with, who's going to London permanently. It's going to be a sweet time as a church. Hope you'll be here. We're going to be praying over him. Evan, you can, you can start praying for them now. I pray that when they get there, man, you allow the, the field to be white for harvest, ready for a gospel awakening. But you know, church, this is what I'm convinced of, that if we want to see God move, then we together have to begin to pray. So in many ways, as your pastor, that's what I'm calling us to do today. I'm asking us to begin praying 